story of, so, so far again, we've said, Leo Shimurim, the night of guarding, is a night of expectation. What are we expecting? We're expecting Mashiach, both celebrating the past, and from the past we're learning about the future. And that goes hand in hand with, from, the, from the get-go, right from the beginning of the Seder. And therefore the whole idea of issuing the invitation would be because the doors and windows are open, people would hear it, they would come in, and our problem today, as we said, is because we have to close our doors at the beginning. Unfortunately, that was a historical reality. So when we open the door later on, we give them a bit of a shtech at the end. So, again, really made sense to me something which, as I said before, I never really ca- uh, understood till I heard that shiur. Just to add to it, obviously, is the story of the five rabbis, and this part of the um, analysis is very well known. And let me just make it a little bit bigger. There we go. And we've got the famous story, Maisa, Rabbi Lezer, also at the beginning, very famous, the five rabbis. Rabbi Lezer, Rabbi Yoshua, Rabbi Lozab and Azariah, Rabbi Akiva, Rabbi Taf, and the five famous rabbinic figures, Rabbi Masubim Bnei Barak. They were sitting in Bnei Barak, so Bnei Barak always gets a, gets a mention wherever you go. They were discussing the going out of Egypt the whole night. The, the students arrived. Our masters, time for Shema. So what's going on here? The obvious question that everybody asks is that Pesach is a family. I just said at the beginning, we remember all the family nuances and fun and things that used to go on. Here the five rabbis are sitting by themselves. There's no sign of their wives, no sign of their kids. It's strange. And not only that, that if the students have to come and tell them, Rabbi said, it's time for mourning, you know, what do you, does that mean that they didn't see the sun come up? Does that mean that they're hiding in a closet somewhere? Does it mean that they're sort of blacked out? They've only got the candlelight, whatever it is, um, um, for themselves to use? What's going on? So this is, I think, even has brought uh, the, um, uh, the Baruch She'amah, the Haggadah of Rebaruch, uh, the Torah Tamima, Rebaruch Epstein. Rebaruch Epstein says he may even be a, a relative original relative of Rabbi Epstein of, of our show. I, I don't know. Never asked him that. But Rabbi Epstein says it, and it's broad, and also many academics talk about this. The five rabbis, they're living at the time of Bar Kokhba revolt. They're all around the year 130 of the common era. And they're sitting around for the whole night of Pesach studying about the going out of Egypt, but not just academic study. For them, this is the preparation for Mashiach. Bar Kokhba revolt was going to get the Romans out of Israel and bring the Messianic days into Israel, rebuild the temple, etc., etc. So when they're sitting around in Bnei Barak and they're talking about rebellion against the Romans, they've got to hide. Because one of the things you don't want is the Romans to hear about rebellion because as soon as they do, you are basically uh, a dead man because they'll, they, they hear the word rebellion, the soldiers come, they arrest you and probably kill you as well. So they're hiding in Bnei Barak, and, not, and therefore that's why they're without their families there, because this is, uh, this is the, the, the rabbis who are preparing for the, for the messianic event, which is coming very soon. And therefore, what is this message of Kriyat Shema? Kriyat Shema is not just saying the unity of God. I declare there is one God. Kriyat Shema is about Kabbalat Ol Malchut Shemayim, to accept the yoke of heaven. Meaning that this is a statement of acceptance made 
by the students to the, to, to, to the rabbis to say, this is our sisma. In modern Hebrew, use the word sisma, which means like a call. When I was in Israel in the army in Miluim, Every, you would be told that on the radio, if there was any sort of uh, a reason to call up the troops, then you would hear on the radio uh, different words being announced, and it was called a sisma. And that was like a key, uh, a, a slogan, I don't know how you describe it, a symbol, a word that, and every unit had its own word. I don't remember what my unit, what the word was, but if I heard it, then I had to report for duty. And this is what's going on here. Kriyat Shema is the sisma, is the announcement to the rabbis, time to get ready to prepare for the revolt. And of course, the Bakochba revolt was a real deal. And Rabbi Akiva says in one place that as far as he's concerned, Bakochba is Mashiach. And the tragedy is that it just wasn't, it wasn't right at the time. Bakochba wasn't right, and Rabbi Akiva made a terrible mistake which, which cost him his life. He was arrested by the Romans, and he was, he was tortured, and he was killed. With the words of Shema on his lips, as we know. So, this theme of messianic expectation, Leil Shimurim, goes right through the Haggadah, right from the beginning. And we've got this story of the five rabbis sitting in Bnei Brak, and they, they are also creating a sense of expectation. And at the end, look at, look at the, how it follows on. And this is, again, we know all this. We've read this, you name it. How many years we've been reading this? But look at this statement of Rabbi Loza ben Azari, one of those rabbis. He goes through this whole discussion about reading the Shema at night, and, he's, and along come the Chachamim, the other rabbis, and say, Yemei Chayech Olom The Yemei Chayech means read it in this world, Kol Yemei Chayech Mashiach, to bring us into the days of Mashiach. What? You know, what has that got to do with the, the events of this evening if we're talking about the past, going out of Egypt? The answer is because it's not just about that. It's the past and the future, the Havi, to bring us to the days of Mashiach. And that's the reference over here, and it goes on and it continues through the Haggadah. That, that it's, I'm going to call it a subtext, but it really isn't. It's not a subtext of the Haggadah. It's really what a main theme of the Haggadah, which is there was guarding of the events. Of we're commemorating what happened in the past, and we're also looking forward, expectation of what is to come in the future. So again, that element Leil Shimurim, that theme is a theme that goes from the beginning of the Haggadah. Many more examples as you go along, and this is the homework that I leave you to to find more messianic. Men, um, themes you'll see there's, there's a lot of stuff going on um, uh, towards the uh, end of the first half of the Haggadah and you know it's, it, it, it's there it's to be seen and it's not just by chance it's really one of the basic concepts of celebrating Pesach is this sense of expectation of the future I'm going to move on because I've got a lot of stuff to talk about so let me just show you something else I want to show you here the next part of the Haggadah, which is the four questions. So let's put aside the whole thing of Leil Shimurim. I'm going to come to Manishtana. And here comes a, a real shock. Right? As I said, never take anything for granted. We've got the famous questions. We all know it. Right? Some of us have suffered the slings and arrows of having to have said this once upon a time. Uh, putting your kids through it, your grandchildren go through it. Some love it, some not so much. But, you know, it is what it is. Ma'anishtana, etc. What are the four questions? The one matzah moro, 
Second one is, uh, sorry, matzah, then mora. Then about enonu matbilim, we don't dip. And then finally, uh, the, the, the question of eating, laila zekonana musubim, we are leaning. So let's have a look at the original Mishnah. Those who are learning the page a day, Dafyomi, it's very exciting because this is what we're learning at the moment in the Dafyomi. So it just falls out like that probably once in a hundred years. But look what it says here. This is the Mishnah. This is a manuscript. This is what I loved about Rabbi Jacobs. He wouldn't go for the regular text. He'd find a manuscript which, you know, is interesting in itself and bring things which, you know, you just never see. Um, the college at the time had a fantastic library with a lot of original documents and manuscripts. So they didn't even have to go far to get the manuscript to find this original version. This is the first printed version of the Mishnah in 1492. You can see he wrote here in Naples. Printed in Naples in 1492. Interesting. And it goes like this. And I'm sorry, this text is a little bit more difficult to read. Let me again make it a little bit bigger. And it's, it's taken really the Mishnah as we have it. They pour a second cup. And this is when the son asks his question. And the Mishnah said, The father has to teach the son what to say. Question number one. The same as what we do. Number one. Number two. Question number two. Same as us. Shabakola elot onum onum matbilim palm acha. Slightly different. It says there they used to dip once, and that's a, again something which we don't do today. They used to take the food and dip it regularly at every meal into a condiment, vinegar, or, or whatever it is. Now we've come back to that a little bit with dipping. You know, if you have your pitot with uh, with. Uh, uh, or whatever it is, hummus, that's what, that's what they did every meal. They used to dip like that. We, uh, our question is, right, to make it more extreme, that, that normally, I mean, as I said, recently we ch- may, may have changed our style a little bit, but generally speaking, there was no dipping at all except for Pesach. So, so the question originally was that they dip on other nights once, so the child will see tonight twice. Good thing to point out. Question number four is completely changed. Question number four. Every other night we can have whatever meat you want. You can have roasted. You can have, you know, sort of whatever joint, whatever, whatever you want to do with it. Everyone on Pesach night used to eat only roasted meat. And it turns out even the Chagiga, the special... A sacrifice which was for the Chag was also roasted. So that was not a sheep, that was a, 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 a I don't know, some sort of other animal, whatever it was, and that meat was also roasted, that would be your meal, and then at the end you would have a bit of roast lamb, which would be the carbon Pesach with the Matzah and the Mora, etc. So that question has gone away, and I think it's well known. The change, obviously, when the Temple was destroyed, no more carbon Pesach, so we're not talking about roast meat anymore. But what happened was that we substituted the leaning. And again, there was a change in style. The, 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 in the times of the Talmud, they used to have, like uh, the Romans did, they were long couches, and they would incline uh, on the couch and eat and whatever. We, in, since the Middle Ages, sit up at a table. 
So, of course, we do something which is sitting straight, and therefore this child will see that normally when you sit straight, you don't start bending to the left and start eating things like that. So the child will see a person doing that on the Seder night. Very strange. I've got to ask why. So the, the question about roast meat went away, and the question about leaning came about as around, I don't know, about a thousand years ago. So again, never take anything for granted. The four questions used to be, three of them we, we, we sort of understand. We see the, the roots of our questions in, 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 uh, in those original statements of, of the Mishnah. The fourth question, completely different. Here comes a real bombshell. We've always, I mean, I remember my, my, uh, um, my mother, my uncle, you know, they always spoke, spoke about the fear kashas, right, in Yiddish, the four questions. Look at, the, look at the Mishnah as brought in Yerushalmi. This, this is wild. All right? How many questions were there originally, once upon a time, according to the Jerusalem Talmud? Not the Babylonian, the one that we use. The Jerusalem Talmud, which is also a valid text. Listen to this. Um, this, in fact, it's, it, there's, there's a couple of uh, versions of it. Let me read number three. Mosgulo kos sheni. Same thing. Pour the second cup. The child asked, the same thing as we have in our Mishnah. The same language. So the whole thing of dipping comes to question number one. That's strange. Twice, we dip twice. That's question number one is dipping. Question number two is about the matzah. Question number three is about the meat. Hang on a second. One, two, three. Yafa, I mean, you know, where's question number four? What happened to the Bora? Right? And this is the original text. There was no four questions. Imagine the kids, you know, they must be relieved. I only have to do three questions, I don't have to do four questions. Go figure this. And this is a, a manuscript of the Yushalmi, also uh, impossible to read, uh, where it brings a, a, the similar, similar statement. The bottom line of it is that Mara, again, we've got to go into what was going on in the, the time when the Jerusalem Talmud was being written and reflecting the, the, the temple practice. Mora was always a subsection of the mitzvah of Korban Pesach. So if we have a question about the meat, then seemingly Mora would be, even the Gemara's got a whole discussion about it, whether Mora is, is biblically commanded or is it only rabbinically commanded. It seems that the Mora question was not considered important enough Right? And you can have a whole discussion about this, which I don't want to go into, to include it in the original questions that the child would ask. Who knew that? As I said, never take anything for granted. Turns out that according to the original Talmud Yushalmi, there were in fact only three questions. Right? And again, this to me was news. I mean, I'm just doing something, I'm not doing anything amazingly deep over here, but when you start looking into sources, it becomes very, very interesting, fascinating, that once upon a time there were only three questions, and what we're seeing is that the Haggadah, as a book which we have today, has evolved from its earliest inception, which goes right back 
into the days of the Mishnah over 2,000 years ago, and even earlier, as we will see later on. So, I want to point that out, because that to me is just something which, I don't know, we just don't know this, I never knew this, that originally there were three questions, and it became four, with the changes, I knew this thing about the change of, of eating, as a, uh, sitting up as opposed to leaning, Right? Where, where do you find those remnants of, of the way they used to eat? Go to the Metropolitan Museum in New York and you'll see all those couches that they used to lean on. There's, there's, they found those things over there. But the actual concept of four question, not set in stone whatsoever. We have it today as four questions. The question is, why did it go from three to four? So Rabbi Jacobs wanted to suggest, and it's something that we do in the davening every day, but maybe it's early in the morning, so we may not think about it. We have a section in the davening called Ezeo Mekoman Shel Zavachim. What is the place where we offer up sacrifices? All right? Some people say, because you come a little bit late, that's the first paragraph to get sacrificed in the morning. I, I get that. And some people don't say it. But if you do say it occasionally, you'll see that it says about Pesach, four... Um, uh, um, Details of the of the of the Paschal Lamb. Pesach einanecha ela balayla. It's got to be eaten at night time. Einanecha ela chatzot, eaten by midnight. Einanecha ela limenuya. You've got to be part of a group. It's not eaten by yourself. You've got to be with a group to eat the common Pesach. Einanecha ela sali. It's only eaten roasted. Four details. And Rabbi Jacobs wanted to suggest that that, in essence, is where the number four starts off to be so significant in the Seder. From the number four, it became that the three questions became four questions, because originally the details of Pesach were revolving around four major halachic issues. How to eat it, when to eat it, etc., etc. And of course, the number four... You go, you go out of space when it comes to number four. By the time you finish the Seder, there's so many number fours uh, to, uh, to be discussed. That's a wonderful talking point at any Seder, uh, particularly for younger children, is to get them to ex- you know, tell you how many fours do they find in the Haggadah. But the suggestion that, for instance, the, f- the three questions became four questions, the, one of the concepts may be because of these four elements in the Paschal Lamb, and, it, and, and, it, and it's beautiful because we, we originally used to mention the Paschal Lamb, and then for reasons not necessarily our fault, you know, going back, when the temple was destroyed, all of a sudden the Paschal Lamb question disappeared. So we try and keep a remnant of that concept by asking or dealing in fours. Anything to do with the number four is absolutely uh, encouraged and explained and part of the Seder uh, celebration. Alright, so that's point number two. The discussion of the four questions. Nothing to be taken for granted. Here comes bombshell number three. And this, if this doesn't blow your mind, then I'm sorry, I haven't done my job. The four sons. If we're doing fours, let's talk about the four sons. Listen to this. Unbelievable. Chacham Mahu Omer, famous statement of the four sons. I'm just throwing out concepts, things that we take for granted, but don't take anything for granted. Now, this is meant to be a smart kid, right? What does he say? What are the laws and the statutes and all the different translations? 
which the Lord our God has commanded you. Right? And then, that's question. And then what do you say to him? You take the laws of Pesach. Something about the Afikoman. So with all due respect, the question doesn't make sense. And the answer clearly doesn't make sense. If the kid is so smart, what is, he, what is he saying to his father? What are all these laws? You're a smart kid. You should know. You've been studying Gemara. You've been doing Dafyomi for the last six months. You, you, you study the Gemara in, in, in the yeshiva. You're asking about something here which is so fundamental. What do you mean you, you're asking about that? Why do, well, you, know, you don't know it? It's such a strange question. And then the father's response, which you have to say to him, you tell him about the Afikoman. I mean, you know, with all due respect, if he's asking a question, your expectation of him is to know this, and then you just throw out something about the Afikoman, what is going on? How can that remotely be an answer to this question of the son, which in itself is a question which, which you know, doesn't really make sense? It, it, it's a bombshell. And of course, what happens when we see the Rosha, just to point out, we make a big deal. The Rosha said, Lachem, what is this to you? Lachem velo not to him. But with the Chacham, we know that it also, he said, Etachem, to you. He sort of also seems to exclude himself. So why is the Chacham not criticized? And why is the Rosha, the, the, the wicked son, criticized? Because he says, Lachem. And again, open up dozens of Haggadahs. You've got... Hopefully you have lots of uh, different Haggadahs at home. You'll see literally dozens of answers to this. But listen to this. This will blow your mind. The, the, again, we're going to look at original statements of these various sons. Where does it come from? So there's two sources that Rabbi Jacob's brought. One of them is Mechilt, a very old Midrashic text. And again, Yushalmi Jerusalem Talmud. All of these standard texts, you can go to any bookshop, Jewish bookshop in the world. Uh, I've just been in Baltimore last week, went to Shabsi, wonderful bookshop over there. And you, you're asking for a copy of Mechilta or Yushami, you'll have it all available for you to read, to buy. Look what it says over here, interestingly, just want to point this out. The Chacham Mahu Omer, when it brings the question of the Chacham in this Midrash, it says, Hashem <laughs> Otana. In other words, he's not excluding himself. In our version, etchem. Here it says, Otana. So what's going on? And the problem is that the word etchem reflects that word which you find actually in a pasuk, talking about the questions which will be asked. So the word is actually reflecting a pasuk in the Torah. In the Mechilta, the rabbis felt if the word etchem leads to a, a conclusion of exclusion, then we'll change it to Otano. And they felt that they had the authority and the ability, certainly in oral Torah, to make that change. They won't change the text of the Torah itself, God forbid, but they will, in the oral Torah, be able to reflect what it really should have said, to make it simple, Otano. And that's, that's just a point of information. But listen to this. What is going on with the Chochem? When you look in the Jerusalem Talmud, you go, let's go to question the, the third of the fourth sons. We call him Tam, a simple, you know, simple son. Look what it's called in the Jerusalem Talmud. It's unbelievable. It says Tipesh. Now again, if, you, if you've ever lived in Israel, you'll know if somebody calls you a Tipesh, 
it's very close to, to the wonderful Hebrew word, Yafa, which I'm sure you know, idiot. Right? A tipesh is an idiot. Idiot means not the newspaper, idiot, which I always thought it, there was a guy on the street corner screaming out, idiot, idiot, that was calling me an idiot. The reality was, idiot, idiot means what it says, an idiot, a fool. Tipesh. Tipesh means a fool. The third child in the Jerusalem Talmud is not a simple son, he's called a fool. My suspicion is we played it down a bit. You know, we don't want to give anybody give anybody too much of a negative feeling at the Seder. So instead of calling him a Tipesh, we just called him Tam. But look what it says here. Mahu Omer, what, what does the third son say? Mazot. He's just asking because he's called simple, because his question is, is simple. Not always such a bad thing to cut, you know, straight cut to the chase, as they say. And listen to the answer. Not the one that we give. Afata limdo chilchota pesa. So you've got to teach him the laws of Pesach. This is the answer for the Chacham. But we say in the Jerusalem Talmud, it's to the, to the, to the what's well, called the Tipesh, the fool. You teach him the laws of Pesach. What is, and explains what it means. We said you've got to eat the Pesach in a group. So the rule is, don't go from group A, where you're sitting, to group B. What is going on here? What, what, are, we, what are they talking about? Afikaman is the matzah, and we, and we make a big deal about hiding it, and we give prizes, and, you know, what are, what's going on in this Jerusalem Talmud? Here comes, a, here comes something extraordinary. This is very academic. I apologize for those who don't like academic Torah, but this is phenomenal. Afikaman. The word afikomon is actually a Greek word. Although the Talmud tries to find, um, I'm just looking here in my notes, tries to find a, a, a Hebrew derivation, it's not Hebrew, it's Greek. And afikomon is really referring to a practice which the non-Jews, the pagans used to do after they finished their meal. It's called, in, in, in Greek terms, it's called epikomos or epikomium. Epikomos means that after you finish the apikoman, epikomos, what used to happen was that when they finished their meal, they, they certainly weren't ready to go to sleep. And they would start what we would say, in English, it's called a pub crawl. What it means is you would go from place to place and drink. And drinking led to who knows what else, and there'd be immorality, and there'd be, you know, the, guy, the night is still young. And this is something which was the practice of the pagan world. It's, it's very interesting. that and, and look what it says here about Afikomon in the Jerusalem Talmud. You're going from one group, you're going to another group. In other words, you're leaving your place and you're moving off to another group to start the whole thing all over again. Right? An all-night celebration, drinking and carousing and who knows what else is going on. Now here comes the real, real interpretation. Let's go back to the Chacham. Chacham mahu omer. Chacham is asking the following question. He's talking to his father. And he's saying to his father, I know that we do all these mitzvot and we do all these incredible celebrations, but what does this do for you? Etchem, Abba, tell me. What does this do for you? What does this achieve? How, how does it affect you? What does Abba say? He says, 
My son, I want to teach you something, a lesson in life. He says that you're asking me what he does for me. I'm telling you the following, that we know that in our celebration, epicomium or epicomus or whatever it was called, epicomon, is not something we do. Because as Jews, we have a responsibility to God. We have a moral conscience. We have mitzvot. We have, we have a whole framework of law which guides the way we conduct ourselves. And what I'm going to say to you, my son, is the following. After the Seder is finished, you don't go carousing because the Seder is teaching you what it is to be a Jew. As you say in Yiddish, what is to sein a Yid? To be a Jew means that you, it, you, you are indulging yourself, you are, you are enveloping yourself in these fantastic rituals, these fantastic lessons of the Seder night. The last thing that you should be thinking about at the end of the Seder is where I'm going to have another cup of, you know, whatever, wine or, or, or slivovitz or whatever you're going to drink at the end. It, it'll blow your mind, but don't, don't touch that stuff. The reality of it is, is that this is a message of the Seder to the Chacham. He's not asking a question about the knowledge of it, because he knows it. But he's asking a question of the purpose of it. What purpose does it, does it achieve, doing all of these, these rituals, these, these wonderful mitzvot? And the Father says, the purpose is that you should know, that we're not pagans. We don't just finish celebration number one, and go on to celebration number two, and number three, and ad infinitum. We are... We don't do afikom, we don't go around carousing. That's not who we are, that's not the way we behave, that's not who we are meant to be. We are meant to be people reflecting a higher moral awareness, a higher code of living. I, I heard this and, and it, just, it, it just turned my world upside down, I have to tell you. Because, again, the word afikomon, you always wonder about that word. And you always wonder again about the... the and, and you think about it, the Chacham's question and everything that goes into it. And all of a sudden, instead of being a very limited discussion between uh, the wise son and whoever he's talking to, presumably his father, it's become a whole message of what it means to be a Jew. What it means to be a Jew in the big world, in the pagan world that they lived in, in the pagan world that we live in. Right? Maybe we won't call it pagan, but certainly secular world that we live in. We have a moral duty, a moral responsibility, a, an awareness of behavior which we are required to share, at least not necessarily to share with the world, but to show the world that, you know, we can behave differently. And that is a fantastic message of the Arab Banin. Uh, I, I can't go through the rest. The Russia, you have to do your own homework. Uh, why here is a Tam and here is a Tipej. I'm leaving all of this for you to find out. Many how God has discussed this. But I just love this interpretation of Afikoma. What used to happen, and now, of course, what we uh, have done with the word, you know, we've made it into a whole ritual in itself, but what it used to mean, what it meant originally, and more to the point, what was the message? What was being messaged to the child, to the, to, to, to the people sitting at the Seder? Right? Baruch HaLekeinu Shevdi Lonu that God has made us different. And we have a different way of celebration, a different way of looking at the world. And that in itself is, is just precious. I'm running out of time. Uh, Yaffa, please. Yeah, so it's interesting that they took that, uh, what they sold at the Tipeish, 
and brought that to a different level in informing the Chacham. Correct. It's actually the same language. Correct. And as I said, if I had another two hours, I would go, I would go into all of these because they all need they all need detailed examination. In the Haggadahs that we have, whichever Haggadah, they're always going to bring this up that is originally called a Tipej, and here it's called a Tam, and the different versions. But I wanted to bring it to your attention. You're right. The question demands an answer, but not not at this point. I, I you know, if I do that, then then, then we're done. Uh, and I've still got one or two more things to add. And I hope this is interesting. I hope this kind of shows you, as I said, never take anything for granted. Never. I want to show you one or, just one or two more things, and then we'll be done. Uh, because we're, com- we're coming up to the end of our time. Yeah, Why Jack. is Afikoman two words in the Yerushalmi? Yeah, it's interesting. Afikuman, again, may be the idea of what's Afiku to go out. Right, Afiku, I think in, in, in Aramaic means Afiku min, go out from the place. And that's exactly the way he explains it. Right? Two words. Now the the the, 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 the Talmud Bavli has got a has got a different way of breaking the word down. I can't remember. I think it's it's in the Gemara that we're learning at the moment. I'll have to check it up again. Uh, we haven't got to that page yet. Um, but in in the in the Jerusalem Talmud it's so interesting and it's a whole revelation of what used to go on and what the message of the Seder would have been to the most intelligent one sitting there in terms of the students, right? There's a whole range, and of course everybody talks about the fifth son and all the d- different speeches that, that we've heard over the years, but I just want to, you to be made aware of this because it is so different, so unusual. I want to show you um, one or two more things, and just one second. No, here we go. The... The word Haggadah, I've got to end with this because I know we're running out of time. What does the word Haggadah mean? Never take it for granted. We all know the word Haggadah means to tell. Ani Magid, Magid, right, part of the 15 steps. Magid, to tell. What, what are we telling? The story of the going out of Egypt. That's Haggadah. Says the Masechet Avod Rabbi Natan. This is a, um, a longer version of Pirkei Avod. And it is brought in the following story, which again, may have heard of it before, but listen to this. The word Haggadah, what does the word Haggadah mean? Rabbi Yeshua was unwell, he was old. The students came to pay a visit. They wanted to visit the Rebbe. So he said to them, What's new in the house of study? There's always someone saying something new. All right, and that would have made the Rebbe very happy to hear something new. Amru, they said, Talmidech onu, meimech onu shotim. They said, we want to hear from you, Rabbi. We don't want to tell you what's going on. You're our Rebbe. We want to hear the chidush that you have to share with us. So Amalehem, so Rabbi Yoshua said, Chas v'shalom. God forbid, he said, She'ein dor yatom shel chachamim. This is not a generation which is orphaned from scholars. In other words, let me hear what you have to say, what you heard in the Beit Midrash, because that in itself is such a pleasure to me. Shabbat Shalmi Haita. Whose Shabbos was it? And that's a whole story in the Talmud. Two rabbis shared the chief rabbi's position at one time. Rabbi Eloza ben Azari and Rabbi Gamliel. So who was giving the speech? That was Rabbi Yoshua's question. The answer, Omrulo, they said, Shabbat Shalmi Rabbi Eloza ben Azari. It was Rabbi Eloza ben Azari. He was... Remember, we read the story, he was 18, he became chief rabbi, and he went white overnight. 
no explanation required. And the reality of it is that that is his drasha. What did he say? Amar lahem. So Rabbi um, um, Yoshua said to the other rabbis, What is the Haggadah of today? This is not talking about Pesach. This is not on Passover. This is just a question which he asked of the students. What was the Haggadah of today? We'll leave that word untranslated for, for one minute. So Amr, so the rabbis, the, the, the rabbis who came to visit, said the famous story, Pashat HaKel, when you bring the people to, the, to Jerusalem after Sukkot, after the Shemitah year, coming up to Shemitah next year, Hanashim and Hashim it says the men, the women and the children, or everybody came. So what did Rabbi Elozim and Azarias say about that? So Amrulosa, the rabbi said to Rabbi Yoshua, they explained. This is what he said. The men come to study. The women came to hear, study, to listen, whatever. So I bring the children. It's always a problem. Kids run around, as we know. So it says, To give a reward for those who brought them. And that's a famous spirit. Rashi actually brings it in the Torah. The question is, what's going on? What is this Haggadah? What is he, what is he referring to here? What is Rabbi Loza ben Azariah talking about in the Beit Midrash? The answer is that he is getting a Pasuk which deals with this Mitzvah Hakel, very special Mitzvah, almost at the end of the Torah, and he's expounding that Mitzvah, every word of that Mitzvah, as needs explanation. And the three words that he focuses on are Nashim, Nashim V'tav, especially says the men, the women, and the children. And he explains why does it mention all three, and he says the men for this purpose, the women for that purpose, and the children to give reward for bringing them into the, into the celebration, or into the, into the hakel. And what Rabbi Jacobs wanted to suggest, and this is a real bombshell, he says Haggadah is not recounting the story of the going out of Egypt. Alright, it's what we do. But he says the main part of Haggadah is, in fact, explaining word by word from the Torah what the story of Egypt was all about. And if you think about it, as I said at the beginning, that's the bit that everybody sort of, you know, kind of disappears. If you've got to go to the kitchen, that's when you go. If you've got to have a little snooze, that's when you have a little snooze. Because that part of the Agadah, when he talks about, uh, just look at this at the top here, and we go word by word, phrase by phrase, explaining what these phrases meant, and we do this for a lot of the Haggadah. And we always, you know, I always ask myself, why do we go into such minute detail at that particular point? Suggested Rabbi Jacobs, and I think it's such a fabulous suggestion, based on that story with Rabbi Yoshua and his students, Haggadah means exposition. Haggadah doesn't mean telling the story. It means we become Tanaim, we become rabbis teaching the Torah to each other, studying the Torah line by line, and in some cases, word by word. Listen to this one or two examples, and we know this. Let's go to number eight, just as one example, I'm running out of time. So we all sing this, This is all part of the Haggadah. And this is a text from Midrash Tanaim, this is one of the earliest Midrashim 
over 2,000 years old. And all of this is what we have in our Haggadah. But it's exposition. It's explaining word by word. What does it mean that God took us out knowing to Midri, Ela Kodesh Baruch we say, but here it says, what does it mean? This is reference to the pestilence. And Zeroyah, Natuyah, Zacherev. And these are drashot that we know because we do it in Agadah every year. What Rabbi Jacobs wanted to suggest, and that I think is the real, real Kiddush this evening, certainly it was for me, is that the word Haggadah is, yes, it's the story. It's telling of the events. But it's also that we become rabbinic teachers. We become people who expound a text. And in front of us is a fantastic example of this in the Haggadah that we go through word by word, and then we explain what that means. And we explain these psukim, which we know from the story of the going out of Egypt. And then we explain what that means. And then of course we get to and then we know that's the ten plagues. And what we are doing at the Seder night is Haggadah. Not just telling a story, which is very nice, but it's actually talking about the psukim word by word, because that is what Haggadah is about. That's the mitzvah of Haggadah. And I don't know about you guys, this, this again was, was a revelation to me, because it explained why so much of the Haggadah that we have is bound up with all of this material. And instead of going out to do the chicken soup during... Uh, during that part, maybe stay in for that part. Dayenu, maybe you can, you can slip out for five minutes. You know, if you don't like the tune, you're fed up with Dayenu. Whatever it may be, it's, it, it's one of those things that we don't realize how significant that part of the Haggadah is where we go through all of this information. Let me go stop sharing, go back on screen. So what do we do this evening? I, I, again, maybe too, too much, too quickly. We saw... This evening we saw the messianic um, references in the Haggadah. How incredible it is from the from the get-go. It starts off hand in hand, the past linking to the future. We saw about the whole story of the Manish Tana that never take anything for granted. Three questions were the original number. Mora was missing, and maybe it's to do with the fact that Mora was the sandwich and it wasn't really so important or whatever. We've now had to promote Mora to a question because we moved from three to four. Why did we move from three to four? Because one suggestion is that the Pesach had four pascalam, four requirements, and that became the standard for all the things we do on the Seder should revolve around the number four, reminding us of what we're missing. We haven't got the pascalam. You read Josephus, pick up, a, pick up a copy of that, read it online. What used to happen at Pesach in the temple was... Rem- it's not just remarkable, it was a miracle every year. Within six hours, they must have slaughtered thousands and thousands of animals, and the people took it home for the Seder night. It's just beyond belief what used to go on. Um, we saw about the four sons, and the fact that Afikoman has a completely different... Co- the whole question of the Chochom is completely different. As one example teaching a fundamental lesson about what it means to be Jewish. And then finally, and this is the, 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 the pièce de résistance, the whole concept of what Haggadah means. It is telling the story, of course it is. 
but it's also going that line by line, word, almost word by word, through the famous verses teaching us about the Exodus, and we become like great rabbis of the Talmud, we put on our Talmudic hats, and we sit there and we expound the, 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 the verse. That means we explain it. And through, the, through that, we are doing the Haggadah. As the rabbi said to his students, what was the Haggadah today? He's not talking about Pesach. He's talking about the lesson in the Beit Midrash. Put all that together, and you have a Jewish experience par excellence. Nothing, nothing to compare to it. Rabbi Jacob did say, he finishes off with this question, we know Pesach is Zaman Cheirutainu. And Sukkah is Zaman Simchatainu. So why can't Pesach be Cheirutainu v'simchatainu? Right? Why can't it be this festival of freedom and joy? Sukkah is, is the festival of joy, but Pesach is such a joyous occasion. So he pointed out, remember what we said about the opening the windows and closing the windows and blood libels, which is the reason why we are told not to take red wine. Thank God today we can use red wine again, but once upon a time Jews never used red wine. Pesach had within it a little bit of a, a downside. And the rabbi said, we can't call it Zaman Simchatein. We'll call it Zaman Cheirutein because that's what it's about, freedom. But of course, the hope, the tefillah, will be that it will become not only Zaman Cheirutenu, a symbol of freedom in the future, but Zaman Simchatenu, a time when we can really rejoice once and for all as we finish off the Shana Haba. I'm going to do Rabbi Davies. Shana Haba. Right at the end. And, and that's what it. That's what it. That is what it... I'm sorry, I'm getting an echo here. I'm sorry, I'm getting an echo. That is what it's all about. The idea of looking forward, Bezrat Hashem, to the Seder in Jerusalem very, very soon. I hope there's something you can take away from this. At least, even when you're in the car, I hope that it registered well with you. Absolutely. And Bezrat Hashem. And we really got into this. I was going to do the whole thing. Uh, I would say, let's talk about next time, Bezrat Hashem, after Chag. We'll please God have another session. I think we'll send out an email just to announce it. So I wish everybody. Chag Kasher Vesamea, a beautiful and wonderful Chag for everybody, and mainly a healthy Yonta. I know the diet is not so healthy, but that's what we eat. As my mother used to say, schmaltz and potatoes, and that was Pesach. Now we've got a bit more of a choice. Everybody, Chag Sameach. Have a wonderful Chag. Chag Sameach. Chag Sameach. Thank you. Thank you. Take care, everybody. This was, a really, this was our, our biggest class yet, and it left us all, I'm sure, with a wonderful things to think about and bring to our Seder experience. So thank you so much for listening. Thank you. Oh, Yafa, beautiful. Can you send us the uh, the, the um, printout? Yeah. Of your, uh, what I'll do, I'll, I'll email them. Yeah, Blinada, I'll email email it to to Elise, and then I think Elise yeah. can, if you don't mind, I'll email it to you, and then you can sort of send them out on your email list. You've, so I'll do that. Hopefully, uh, in the next in the next day or two, I'll get it to you. Um, uh, Rabbi. Yeah. Rabbi. This uh, this Pesach, we're going to be using my great great grandfather's Haggadah, wow. Yaakov David Miradoms, 
my father's grandfather. He wrote all these Perushim to the Haggadah, and my cousin uh, in Jerusalem published it. Beautiful. And we all contributed to that. And, wow. and it's all going to be, um, my daughter is going to pick it up on her way from my sister who, it, it already came to us. So That's wonderful. I'm looking forward to using it. Wonderful. And maybe you'll find some good answers to some of our questions as well. Thank <laughs> you so much. So I don't know. Uh, <laughs> everybody, <laughs> sorry, have a wonderful Chag, Chag Kasheva Samea uh, to everybody. Thank you so much. Thank you. Good night. Good night. Laila Tov. Laila Tov.